Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon, this is Dean Finale with Politics and Life Science Radio, where we talk about all the issues in the life science industry and politics that drive that industry. I am very happy to have as our guest today, uh, Mr. Michael Letts, who's the founder and president and CEO of Invest USA. Uh, before we bring on Michael, uh, let's see what's going on uh, around the world. We know the Russians really are having a terrible time in Ukraine, uh, which is certainly good news for the West and for uh, Europe. Uh, when we look at the U.S., the U.S. continues to uh, provide military and financial assistance to uh, Ukraine. The U.S. authorized uh, earlier this week an additional $40 billion uh, in new aid to Ukraine. That includes uh, weapons as well as uh, financial aid. Uh, when we think about you know, the Russian reaction to this, uh, it's becoming increasingly clear that the Russians are viewing this more and more pro- as a, provo- a provocation. Uh, the certainly under uh, international treaties, the U.S. as well as European countries are allowed to provide uh, defensive equipment to Ukraine. Uh, but again, that question that we've heard about for the last two months is what is too much? What is uh, going to be viewed as uh, or by Russia as uh, too much commitment by the U.S.? You know, we had that whole discussion about a month and a half ago about whether the West would provide additional planes to uh, the Ukraine. And certainly the U.S. was very adamant that it would not provide any jets because they thought that would uh, involve direct confrontation of U.S., uh, potentially U.S. or NATO allies with um, or NATO equipment with Russia that could escalate things. But nonetheless, we continue to hear Russia and their uh, leaders continue to make provocative statements about nuclear war and escalating and things that no one's ever seen before. So uh, hopefully, you know, this continual battle that's going on over there uh, doesn't continue to escalate. And, you know, we're hearing additional stories about the potential for Russia to expand operations into other uh, countries, including Moldova. And we know that uh, recently, um, Certain Nordic countries were considering uh, joining NATO, which certainly uh, Russia doesn't want to hear and have any part of. And, you know, when you look at what precipitated uh, what we're seeing in Ukraine, probably the expansion of NATO, uh, at least as an excuse, uh, is one of the justifications uh, that Russia would give. So it'll be interesting to see how this continues to play out. But, you know, just the the war crimes that are going on in Ukraine, I think. Uh, anyone who is watching that is just appalled of what they're seeing over there. 
uh, and the Russians don't seem to be relenting, although uh, there has been uh, reported recently about the Russians being pushed back by uh, Ukrainian forces, which is certainly good news. Uh, when we looking at local issues in the U.S., uh, the COVID vaccines are still uh, being developed and Omicron-specific vaccines are being developed. You know, we know in the U.S. we're in very good position. We heard earlier this week uh, the uh, Biden administration said to be prepared for potentially 100 million cases uh, this fall. Not really sure where that number came from. I think, you know, that's one of the issues that really has plagued uh, this in addition to the actual infection is all this information that seems to be coming out uh, with these conclusory remarks without support. I mean, we know a lot of people uh, don't want to hear, get the vaccine, wear the mask. They want to hear the whys. And again, you know, if someone's going to, from the administration is going to make a statement that says, you know, they're expecting a hundred million cases uh, this coming fall, you know, which we're talking about a matter of four months, uh, I think we need to hear some backup of where those numbers come from uh, and particularly what the uh, government's going to do about that. We know that probably that number was uh, more of a political statement to incentivize Congress to provide additional funding uh, for COVID. Uh, the, as I mentioned, the Omicron-specific variants that are being developed, uh, the Biden administration has suggested that uh, unless additional funding is provided, uh, they, we may only be able to provide those shots to the highest risk people, which uh, would really just be a travesty. Uh, so uh, I would expect that Congress does act and we do see uh, more funds delivered uh, to Americans, uh, especially since when you look back at this, uh, the American taxpayers are the ones that really uh, incentivized and provided taxpayer funds to get these mRNA vaccines launched. But it remains to be seen. You know, nothing's ever clear when we talk about uh, politics and especially, you know, everything being so politicized uh, these days. Well, I'd like to bring on our guest uh, today. We are happy to welcome Mr. Michael Letts, who's the founder, president and CEO of Invest USA. It's a national grassroots uh, nonprofit organization that's helping communities provide bulletproof vests for police forces, uh, as well as educational uh scholarships, uh, fundraising programs. Uh, so, Michael, pleasure to have you today. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's always my privilege and uh, appreciate your doing such a proficient job of making sure your listeners understand what is transpiring in the world today. There certainly is plenty to talk about. Absolutely. So what made you uh, get involved with uh, Invest? I mean, certainly when we, you know, when we look about with police, it's just, I think all of us are kind of or maybe not all of us, but a lot of us are scratching our heads. You know, police have really been uh, made the bad guys over the last couple of years. We know uh, deaths of police officers are really, you know, in addition to crime itself, are really uh, at unprecedented levels. So what you're doing is, you know, not only important for communities, but definitely saving lives. What made you um, get into that? Well, we started this charity in 1993. Uh, it was interesting. I was in public office and uh, was president of a civics club, a Kiwanis club. One of the uh, speakers did not show up. And of course, as the president, that means you're on. So I quickly called the sheriff uh, with me being on council and asked him to send over a deputy to uh, he could clean his gun for all I care. As long as he gave, provided some kind of a speech for the for the audience, we had a large crowd. 
And during the question and answer session, he, uh, someone asked him, where was that vest thing that you were, there had been a shooting recently. And he said, well, the department doesn't provide them and I am, uh, can't afford one on my own. So I thought that perhaps he was just new and didn't understand the process. So sent him over to the Rotary Club. He gave the same speech. Somebody in the audience asked the same question, same answer. So I called the sheriff. I said, look, I don't want to get your boy in trouble. But uh, he says, you don't have vests. He said, that's correct. The uh, council has refused to provide them. Of course, this is in 1993. I was relatively new on council. So I assumed that I could solve the problem. We allocated a half a million dollars to do that. But on third reading, I was out of town. And uh, my colleagues, in their wisdom, decided to withdraw it from the budget. So when I got back, a group of reporters asked me for my reaction. And of course, I did something that most politicians shouldn't do. I spoke without thinking. I just simply said, well, if they feel that way about it, fine. We'll just raise the money ourselves and take it to the public. That was the headlines the next day, and I've not been able to find an exit strategy ever since. And, you know, it it sounds almost preposterous in this day and age that is that still the case i know you said you started this in 1993 in 2022 are there still police officers that aren't given vests that is correct we when we started these statistics are almost unbelievable we started in 1993 52 percent of officers had no protection at all uh, across the country we were able to reduce that number to roughly 20 percent but at that time it's what we call a uh carrier vests, which are the ones that you see them wearing under their uniforms, uh, those vests are only designed to be able to stop a sidearm. And um, the criminal element has gotten more astute, shall we say. And over the last four or five years, of course, I'm sure you're aware they have targeted our first responders across the country. And they are now using assault rifles, long-range rifles, et cetera, which will cut right through. A, a, a concealable vest. So we had to step back, develop new technology called active shooter vests that actually have titanium plates in it that will literally stop any round, any any kind of rifle, any kind of handgun on the market today. But uh, 90% of our officers today do not have such protection. And of course, this is the deadliest years we have ever had in history of officers being killed on the line of duty. It is the lowest morale we've ever had in history, and the thin blue line is collapsing. It's collapsing very quickly, and if we don't do something about it, uh, we're going to live in a country without protection, and it's kind of hard to live in a country when you don't feel safe. It's absolutely true, and I think, you know, what I, I myself and a lot of people find very frustrating is this isn't what the public wants. I think when you look at polls, and I was looking at some information uh, you know, preparing to talk with you and 80% of people are against, you know, this defund the police movement. And, and that's across all demographics. This isn't a, a racial thing. Uh, you know, and it just seems like there's a small, very, very small minority of people that are, you know, pushing these, these ideas that, you know, if you defund police, all of a sudden crime's going to disappear. And, you know, what we're seeing is the exact opposite. And, you know, when you look at, I think you brought up a really chilling uh, point that, you know, not only are police officers being shot in the line of duty, which, you know, it's, I guess, a risk of the job, but worse, they're being targeted in the line of duty. So, you know, when you look, you hear what's going on today, 
you know, how does that make you feel as someone for the last, you know, 30 years that's been, you know, trying to protect officers? And now you have even politicians out there that in some regard, you know, maybe not outwardly, overtly saying uh, these negative comments about police. But, you know, definitely there are a lot of politicians that are, you know, by not standing up against the criminal element, tacitly endorsing this. Well, there's no question. And, you know, I think it's actually been a concerted effort over the last few decades. And people ask me, why would I make such a statement? Because first of all, you have to realize our position in the world. America is the last bastion of hope and freedom left. If America falls, uh, there's no other place to go. So there is a directly concerted effort to destroy what freedoms we have left. Well, it's hard to take your freedoms away if you're an armed citizenry. So we have to remove the second amendment. Well, no. If we remove the Second Amendment, who's going to go to your house and take your firearm from you? Well, they realize that state and local police, you know, these are people you know that your neighbors, you go to church with them. Uh, they're less inclined to do that. So they need to create a national police force that will do the bidding or the enactment of the power and party, which, of course, they hope that power to be the socialist uh, democratic leftist. And to be able to do that, then you have to be able to characterize our local and state law enforcement as A, being racist, B, being inept. And you remember TV shows have shown this for years. Cops are always the burden of the joke. Um, Or C, don't fund them. Don't provide necessary equipment. And all this you can't just do within a matter of an hour. It's staged over years. But we have gotten to that point in this country now to where we have so demonized our first responders and our law enforcement, they're coming close to achieving their objective. And when they get that and they break that thin blue line, uh, in fact, let me tell you some other chilling statistics. We are at the point in this country now that in less than a year, when you dial 911, there will not be enough first responders to answer your call. You will dial and they will get a voice recording saying state the name of your emergency, location and we will dispatch as soon as we can find somebody there. That may be an hour. That may be a day. You know, if it's a, if it's a property crime, you get somebody ran over your mailbox, that's fine. Somebody's got a AK-47 and trying to kick in your front door. That's a whole different matter. That's not the kind of call recording you want to hear. So that is where we are headed though, because they have so demonized our first responders. We have treated them so poorly, paid them so poorly, equipped them so poorly, that nobody wants to continue in the career. They're retiring left and right, getting out. And our young people, here's what the biggest concerning is. The next generation has no interest in community service and wearing the badge. So who's going to step forward for the mantra? Is our question yet to remain to be answered? And uh, it affects, as you just talked about a minute ago, the entire viability of this country. Because nobody wants to live in a nation like the Old West, where there's no no safety, and you have to worry from day to day whether your kids are going to come home alive or not. That's not the America our founding fathers ever envisioned. It's not the one I'm sure your listeners envision now, but that's where we're headed if we don't do something to do it very quickly. Well, it's really scary, too. When you look at the news, you know, it's not as if we have criminals that are committing crimes, you know, stealing bread to feed their family like you'll have certain politicians allude to. These are just outright Crimes, you know, you're, we're still seeing people run into stores, steal pocketbooks, steal uh, televisions, electronics, and 
really there's no police around, no security around. And, you know, police are almost put in this position where if they do step in, you know, they're, I mean, and I understand why they're hesitant because, you know, when you step in those situations, then, you know, you have someone with a phone that's going to, you know, the truth, is it even, you know, you could see it and yet someone will tell you the complete opposite. So, you know, we're really in this strange situation now where, you know, many of our major cities that are incredible tourist attractions are almost uninhabitable. I hate to use that word because the crime is just through the roof. And, you know, these aren't, you know, these are dismissed as right wing uh, conspiratorial talking points. But whenever you look at the data, uh, Michael, I think that data supports exactly what you're saying. We're seeing you know, a, a an increase in violent crime, B, a, a lack of police response, either A, because we don't have the police officers don't have the resources to get involved, or maybe they're even just, I mean, I, I probably don't think this is the case, but it could be, you know, they're just, you know, shrugging their shoulders and say, I can't get involved in this because, you know, unless it's a matter of life and death, I'm not going to, you know, risk myself and not get the support of the public. So, you know, I think it's really just a the situation we're seeing throughout the country and not even in one city is just shocking. Do you think we're in this kind of cyclical situation? I know you alluded to, you know, it's getting worse, but do you think there'll be a shift back to, okay, where people look up to police officers and recognize, you know, we can't live in this chaotic situation we're living in in 2022? I do. I think we're at a crucible right now for the future uh, of this country, for the future state of this country. I think we will get one shot. I don't think we'll get a second shot to do it right the second time. We are at a, at a point to where we as Americans need to stand up and not be afraid. And the reason why I say that is I believe the vast majority of Americans support what we are talking about. They support our first responders. They support fiscal policies. They support policies that have common sense and integrity and law and justice and order. But they've also been allowed to have the mainstream media badger them in such a way that they're intimidated and they're scared to stand up. Folks, we can't do that anymore. If we would have made that decision after the invasion of Pearl Harbor, we'd be living in a whole different world now. We stood for truth. We stood for integrity. We believed that God was on our side and we conquered and we liberated the world. We have to have the same mindset and mentality now or we will not survive. And that is why I see us at that point. I see the country awakening. I see them realizing how they have been duped by our government, especially on a federal level. They don't have the best interests of their citizens at heart. And I think they're beginning to say, wow, now what do we do? And that is the key stage why I so appreciative of interviews with uh, shows such as yourself. When they ask that next question, what do we do? We have to be able to provide them a reasonable, sensible answer to be able to make America great again and to be able to restore our law and justice and order. Well, and I think you hit it on the head. And we're talking with uh, Mr. Michael Letts of Invest USA, uh, CEO of Invest USA, uh, who provides bulletproof vests to police officers. I think, you know, a lot of the, the hysterics that we hear, you know, on both sides, it's not even on just one side, on both sides of the, the political aisle. You know, at the extremes, you hear these hysterics and, you know, I think you hit it on the head where people just aren't acting reasonable. I mean, saying we want a safe environment for our children, for our families is not an unreasonable thing to say. So, you know, I hope you're right. I hope we do see this shift back. And I, Michael, I want to thank you for what you're doing, first of all, 
uh, at Invest USA. And thank you for joining us and providing that insight to our listeners. Uh, where can people find about, more about information on you and the on Invest? If they will go to our website, that's Invest USA. That's I N V E S T USA.org. It's a charity.org. They will find, be able to keep track of the best we're handing out, the list of things they can do. I want to encourage your listeners because we are in a crucial time in the history of this country. If you can contribute, that's great, but it's not necessary. Here's what I want you to do. Find a first responder today and just simply say, thank you for your service. Thank you for protecting us. We want to back you any way we can. The morale is so low in this country right now, our first responders, that I'm fearful that the, the wall is collapsing. That one statement can make the difference for an officer, and I encourage your listeners to do that today. Michael Letts, thank you for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. That was Michael Letts, CEO of Invest USA, providing bulletproof vests to our first responders and police officers. Uh, I want to thank him for joining us today and thank him for what he's doing. Uh, thank you for joining us today at Politics and Life Science Radio, where we talk about all the issues in the life science industry and the politics that drive that industry. This is Dean Finale. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences. 